0: Please turn the scriptures to uh, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we will be reading verses 1 through 20. For this is the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Thanks be to God for his holy word. There is an illusion of freedom in our world today. There is an illusion that we are actually free when indeed we may be captives. We may be free from government oppression, for now, but there is another form of oppression that we tend to ignore. It is spiritual. And we are surrounded by captives. There are those who think they are free because... They do what they want. They're free to go here and there. There are those who think they are free because they do not believe in a God or submit to His law. They make up their own righteousness and say, we're free to believe anything we want to believe. This is coming from those who are slaves to their own flesh and their own sin. They think they are free, but in all reality, they are slaves. They love their sin and do not want to be freed from it. But it is not just out there in the world. We are not only to look down on those in the world when we may be captives even ourselves. We may be slaves to our own sin and we may be just good at hiding it. Uh, But as Jesus is going around in his ministry, he performs a few tasks when confronting both people and the demonic presence among the people as we will see in our text. He exposes, he subdues, and he disturbs the order of things. Why does he disturb the order of things? I thought he was helping people. Well, he disturbs the order of things because people do not like change and Jesus brought a whole lot of it. How many people you know, maybe even yourself when you try to give someone some advice for their good or share the gospel and call them to repent and believe, they totally turn on. That is human nature. We do not like change especially traumatic change that calls us to make a U-turn in our way of thinking. But Jesus is doing something else here that is far more important for us to acknowledge. There is a goal to what He is doing. Why is He exposing, subduing, and disturbing the order of things? Well, one of the most popular prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament speaks of the Messiah. And it reveals his character as he is the one who is going to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, the average Jew at that time would have thought the same way the average American would have thought at the time. He would have read that and think that he has come to free us from uh, political oppression because we are political prisoners. And he has come to overthrow the government that is oppressing them. But this text has a broader reality in view. He has actually come to show us mercy. It is not just physical prisoners that prophecy is speaking about, but it is speaking of spiritual prisoners. And Jesus comes across a spiritual prisoner in our text this morning. So, first, he exposes the enemy. So far in his confrontations throughout uh, this gospel, Jesus has shown that he is the Lord. He has shown that He is the Lord. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Lord as to our bodies as He heals disease. He is Lord over His kingdom and as to how it grows. He is Lord over creation as He controls the wind and the sea. And He is Lord over the spiritual realm and over the demonic forces of evil. To be exact, he is Lord over his enemies. And he exposes and subdues the evil dominion of his enemies in our text. Mark begins by telling us the background of this confrontation and the state of the captive whom Jesus has come to liberate. They are still on Peter's boat and they have finally crossed the Sea of Galilee after Jesus calmed the storm that they were caught in. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When you look at a map of the region, you'd notice that Garasa was pretty far from the Sea of Galilee. So it couldn't be there that they arrived. I believe they entered the region of Gergessa, And the term Gerasenes is used as a general term for the people of the Decapolis. The Decapolis is made up of ten cities east of the Sea of Galilee. And it was Gentile territory. So this is his major encounter with the Gentiles. This is the first time he will encounter the Gentiles. This whole time, for the most part, he has been surrounded by the Jews. And it says, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So notice the irony. The irony, of course, is that this man had an unclean spirit, or demon, and he lived among the tombs, which in the eyes of the Jews would make him unclean because he was with the dead. And on top of all that, he was a Gentile. He was an unlikely candidate for redemption. He was an unclean man. With an unclean spirit. And he himself was considered automatically unclean. Because he was a Gentile. And Mark describes what it is like. To be possessed by a demon. What does it look like to be demon possessed? Well he describes it in four ways. First, he is uncontrollable. No one could tie him down, as it says, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Secondly, he has superhuman strength. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Now imagine, these are chains. Not even the tiny chains that we would use for a dog. Could we just easily wrench apart? So this man had an uncontrollable power and strength. Thirdly, he had gone completely mad. Night and day, Among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. This is madness to the extreme. Demon possession often involves uncontrollable madness and rage. This is not just mental illness that we see on a day-to-day basis out there. Mental illness is not the same as demon possession. This is an extreme form of madness. Fourthly, not only was he uncontrollable with superhuman strength, but he also had no self-control. And he was bent on self-destruction, cutting himself with stones. Because the one thing that demons are known for is destruction. That is all the devil is known for. He only wants to destroy the life of... In the order of things that God had made. He wants to destroy you. And he'll use his pawns to do so. This man seemed to be lost forever. Isolated from everyone. Cut off from any meaningful relationship or fellowship. But if you pay close attention to these characteristics. You may notice that this is an extreme example of a sinner... who is lost in his sin... under its dominion... bound to Satan. This is an extreme example... of all sinners... including ourselves. Not all men are demon-possessed... but all men... by nature... are ruled by Satan... and his dark forces. This is an illustration of the human condition... This is an illustration of a slave dominated by evil. You can see a little of yourself on a day to day basis here. That is in your sinful flesh, because this is the opposite, the extreme opposite of the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. And we are surrounded by this kind of violence in our world. And as sinners, we too can be uncontrollable. In a fit of rage, we can do things that we never thought we would ever do. How often has that happened to you when you lost your temper? We are constantly going around, seeking pleasure, but never being satisfied. So that can drive us to a level of insanity. And we are surrounded by insanity today, aren't we? And there can be in ourselves a lack of self-control. And if we don't get our way, we seek to hurt others or even ourselves. We are all bent on self-control. Destruction. This demon-possessed man is a picture of what it looks like when man is totally controlled by evil. If you look at the average sinner, these characteristics are there, but they're just tempered at the moment. They are restrained, toned down, under some control, and uh, sometimes there are spurts. Of this uncontrollable anger. Uncontrollable bent on self-destruction. You see this. In every sinner. But Jesus, as he does so with the demons, exposes the sinner. in the dark corners of his soul. This is what he does to all of us. And what you can say the first steps of redemption these are the first steps of redemption for this sinner who is demon possessed now if you are a Christian you don't have to worry about being demon possessed but Satan can still have a field day with Christians he can still have a field day with God's people seeking to drive us mad But we are to be reassured. We are to be reassured as Jesus is to have his last say. And he does so here as he seeks to expose these evil forces and subdue him, subdue them to himself. This demon possessed man sees Jesus from afar, so he ran and fell down before him. He didn't do this out of worship or seeking to get help because he is possessed. He doesn't want help. He ran and fell down before him to acknowledge that Jesus is his superior. He is Lord over all creation and all creatures, including the demons. But not only that. But demons are blasphemous spirits. Whenever they acknowledge Jesus, it is always mixed with mockery And deceit. It says in crying out with a loud voice. He said. What have you to do with me? Jesus. Son of the most high God. I adjure you. Or urge you. As in an urgent plea. By God. Do not torment me. What does he do here? He acknowledges Jesus. And his divine identity. As the son of the most high God. He acknowledges his power. And he knows what Jesus is here to do. He knows his fate when Jesus returns to judge the world. He knows that Jesus will one day destroy him in the lake of fire. To be tormented for eternity. Yet, he is putting up a resistance. It seems like he is submitting to Jesus. But at the same time, he is resisting Jesus. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus exposes him. How? He asked him his name. Remember, in battle, to retrieve someone's name is another way to ask them to surrender. It is for the purpose of gaining victory. That is why the demons kept calling Jesus by his name and title. But it never worked. It never worked. So he gives Jesus his name. And I don't believe this is the name of the man. And I don't believe that this man is speaking. He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Legion is usually referring to a Roman army that consists of about 6,000 soldiers. We do not know the exact number of demons that had taken up residence in this man, but we can conclude there are a lot of them in this one guy. So after Jesus exposes the legion of demons, they are now in a vulnerable place, and they are admitting defeat before it happens while still trying to resist. So he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. That is, not to send the legion to a place where there won't be anyone else to possess. That's what they are begging him to do, to allow them to possess someone or something else. This goes to prove that demon possession is not just a psychological problem. It is a human body being occupied by spiritual beings that can be sent out. It is not someone who is battling with lifelong illnesses. So they are resisting and protesting. So finally, they make a request of their king. As a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. To add insult to injury, these are unclean spirits calling on Jesus to send them to an unclean animal, as pigs were ritually unclean according to the law. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000. Now, what would this accomplish for the demons? Demons. Why did they ask to be sent out into the pigs? Well, for the demons, it was used as a means to get away from the presence of Jesus. And for Jesus, this was a means to get them out of the man and away from him. Demons were believed to inhabit the waters, the seas, and the oceans. And these pigs rushed, where to? Down the steep bank, into the sea and drowned in the sea as their means of escape. They were driven mad into the sea and they were destroyed. They they destroyed themselves just as the man was trying to do. Now, believe it or not, when some read this story, some become saddened. They say, what a waste of life. And you ask, well, What life? The pigs. 2,000 pigs were killed. That's cruel. How can Jesus do such a thing? I know many of you may be animal lovers, and I can sympathize with that, but if that is the most important thing you get out of this text, then you're missing the point. The slaughter of 2,000 pigs is worth it for the saving of one human soul. Our society has turned our priorities upside down as to say that animals are on the same level of importance or higher than humans. Well, that is not true. That is not biblical. Humans were made in the image of God. Not the animals. We were made to have fellowship with God. Not the animals. And we are to have dominion over the animals like Adam. Jesus being the last Adam. Just demonstrated his dominion over all of his creatures. And he is also God and he does what he wants with his creatures. But we have cultures throughout history that worship animals. Because men have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We'll weep over the pigs rather than rejoice over this man's salvation. Jesus just did what the people in the chains that they used to tie him down couldn't do. We miss the point if we can't see that our Savior has just exposed the evil of the demons and their destructive goal, and He saves someone, a human just like us, by casting out these demons into a herd of pigs that will go to their deaths in the sea in order to reassure this man that they are gone and that they will never return again. What a Savior! What a Savior we have. So what this text is doing is revealing the character and nature of God, which we will see in the next point. Now, he didn't destroy the demons just yet. He will one day, but that is for a later time. Until then, how did the people respond to this action on the part of Jesus well, there are two reactions, and there are two polar opposites. The first comes from the locals, because those 2,000 pigs belong to someone. These were the herdsmen, as they fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had The Legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. This man was restored back to normal again. This is what Christ does to all of us. He restores us, sometimes slowly, back to normal and fully human again. Jesus' pattern. Is that he enters our lives, clothes us with righteousness, and transforms us? He doesn't just leave us where we are. But look at the people's response it is not a favorable one. It's not favorable like he received on the other side of the sea. They responded with fear, they were afraid. They were afraid like the disciples when they witnessed Him calming the storm on the sea. They were afraid because they witnessed His power over chaos. This is the same response of anyone who witnesses the holiness of God. There is fear. There is fear in what we cannot understand. And sinners cannot understand the power and holiness of God. Actually, that is the only proper response to God. Unless you have been redeemed. The, the people knew this man. They knew there was something wrong with him. They knew he was mad, uh, crying out day and night, cutting himself. And they may have gotten used to the idea of this man in their neighborhood. They may have gotten used to staying away from him. Oh, we don't go there. That's where the crazy guy is. Every town has one. Unfortunately, this town, it's the pastor. But anyway. But now that has all changed, and Jesus has disturbed their lives. After they learn about how Jesus cast out the legion from this man, instead of rejoicing at the fact that this man has been restored to a sound-minded human being again, and instead of welcoming Jesus, they rejected him. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They believed they were better off before without him. And also consider the financial loss that this would have caused. 2,000 pigs. How many herdsmen do you know? Even around here that owns 2,000 pigs. That's a big hit. To someone's pocket. That's a big financial loss. They were fine. When they were indulging in their own worldly treasures. They valued pigs more than their own souls. Because it brought them a bit of cash. They valued this world more than the salvation that Jesus had to offer them. They were captives. Blind to what Jesus was doing. They were bound just like this man was. This man may have been tormented at the time. But the people were heading in the same direction as this man. Despite whether or not they were demon possessed. Because they rejected Their one way of salvation. They rejected Jesus. They didn't want the change that he was bringing. He was disturbing the order of things. That is how we all are, isn't it? Jesus doesn't necessarily make our lives much easier, does he? When we consider the call to follow him he says take up your cross follow me He doesn't say take up your couch or your easy chair that you can just sit back relax and let grace do the work He says take up your cross follow me He disturbs the order of things in our lives This causes a lot of disturbances to our normal day-to-day routine, doesn't it? It means a radical U-turn from our sin and the things we once loved with all of our hearts to turn to Jesus and to trust and obey Him rather than the lusts of our own hearts and what we normally would want to do. Once change comes, our immediate reaction to Jesus We might not say it in these words, but we ask Him to leave. We don't want anything to do with the change in what He's doing in our hearts. This is going to mean that I'm going to lose a whole lot of money. I'm going to miss out on a lot in my life if I follow Him. I'm going to miss out a lot on all that I planned for myself. That means less time to devote to building my kingdom in this world. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. We are so tied to our worldly treasures that we don't want to give them up. Just like these crowds here. Just like the herdsmen. But one day, we must give them up. Sooner or later, we're going to have to give up our worldly treasures, our worldly loves and lusts for the sake of Christ. There is another response. And this response comes from the one who is restored. While the rest of those around him wanted to continue on in their normal routine, they rejected Jesus, and Jesus humbly Complied with their request. It says he was getting on the boat. But the man who was housed, who housed the legion of demons, begged him that he might be with him. Totally different response to Jesus. But Jesus responds and says, No. He did not permit him to go with him, he didn't permit him. wonder why. Well, I'll answer that in a minute, but for now, you you ever ask, ask the question, when you read this passage, why did Jesus cross the Sea of Galilee to begin with? Why did Jesus take his disciples onto a boat through a dangerous storm that nearly killed them? To get to the the Decapolis. Then you read the story and conclude with the question. Was it to save this one man? What about all those herdsmen? What about this crowd that rejected him? He went all the way there to save one man. While the rest of the people rejected him. Well yes, that's what he did. Why? Because he's the shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. But that is not all that is going on here. There are sheep that are not of the fold of Israel. And here he calls this man a Gentile whom he saves to be an evangelist, one of the first evangelists of the New Testament. He says to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he obeys as he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus, the Lord, had done for him. And everyone marveled. Remember when Jesus spoke of how the kingdom of God is like a seed planted and how when it grows we don't know how when it grows larger than any of the garden plants remember that passage well this man is the one man who's going to scatter seeds and those seeds when it takes root it will grow by the time we get to chapter 7 by the time we get to chapter 7 he will have a large following in the Decapolis without even returning despite the rejection he receives at first and something important we need to realize in this text is that the Lord had done much for this man he had done much for this man and he does much for us as well doesn't he and for what do we deserve it did this man deserve to be freed from this demon possession? No. It was all out of His mercy. Jesus traveled all the way there to get, this, get to this man and restore him so that He would tell others, so that they would be restored. He tells him to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you mercy the reason for all of what is going on is to show that the Lord is merciful he not only showed his power and his holiness in this act of exercising the demons but he also showed that the Lord is merciful it is here to reveal his character When we come to realize that all that we have in this life, the things that we enjoy, our friends and family, and most importantly, the salvation that He provides, we must know that it is all out of His mercy. We're not entitled to any of these things because we are humans. Some people believe that the Lord must show mercy to people just because we are humans. That's the other extreme, right? Some value the pigs over against the humans and some value humans to the point that we are obligated for everything. We live in a, uh, an age of entitlement, don't we? Where we believe we are entitled To salvation. We are not. Nobody's entitled to anything because of our sin, including this man who is demon possessed. God owes nothing to no one. We must keep that in mind when we come before his throne of grace. And we cannot earn his mercy. Just like this demon possessed man, we are helpless. Before God, we can't earn His mercy. Not by anything we do. Not by penance. Not by having a laundry list of things that we must do to make up for all the sins we have done. Not even one sin. If you only committed one sin in your life, you need the Lord's mercy. You cannot make up for it. Now the question is what is your response to his mercy? Is it like this demon possessed man? Do you want to be with him? Do you want to share his mercy with others? Do you want to follow him? Or do you want him to go and leave you alone? Anything that would constrain our freedoms. Today, do do, do we want him to leave? Do we want to just do what we want to do, live our lives without Him trying to tell us what to do, without Him calling us to repent? Or do we want to be with Him and follow Him? His ultimate act of mercy will be that He goes to the cross at the hands of the merciless. Doing the work of the kingdom will cost Him His life because that is the work of the kingdom. To seek and to save the lost. To die for our sins. So that we can be restored to God. And made new like this man. And one day we will be like him when we see him. Raised as he was raised. In new bodies. Fully restored. Evil will no longer have dominion over us. And the Lord will set us free one day completely. He has already set us free. But one day he will do so completely in the near future. Yes, we are. Amen. Let us pray.